listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenologyclub. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Are my levels decent? Somebody, if you are with me, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Can you hear me? Looks like I'm not clipping. I don't think I'm clipping. Looks like I'm live. I think I'm live. I can't prove that I'm live or that I am not clipping. As I am not experiencing this live stream from the person who might be experiencing it. Alright, good. Good, we have some feedback. You can hear me. Am I clipping? Am I clipping? Boom! That probably did. Whatever. I won't be yelling yet. If I do, just um, just give me a sign. And I'll turn down that volume. So you can hear me distinctly. So anyway, uh, hello everybody. Happy Sunday afternoon. I've just woken up not long ago. Like I said on Twitter, I have ingested the Adderall and I'm drinking the coffee. I don't know about anybody else, but for me, Adderall doesn't really do anything until I drink some sort of caffeine to kick it into gear that seems to be a pretty common experience i'm not sure what it is about that stuff because i'm not a neurochemist but that seems to be true for myself so here i am sipping coffee waiting for the adderall to do stuff and i decided i would live stream a little bit because i'm trying to be a little more active on this channel and talk my bullshit And just fucking wing it because when I sit and try to compose things, I just take fucking forever. So, today I was thinking to keep it philosophical because this channel is Phenomenology Club. And I created it with the purpose of talking about phenomenology and philosophy in general. That I would talk about moralizing arguments. If any of you are in our Phenomenology Club, you might be aware that this past week we read a text by David Hume, an excerpt from his seminal work, An Enquiry into Human Understanding, written in, well, I don't know when it was written, but it was published in 1748, a long-ass time ago, but David was speaking some facts, and some facts that I feel are really relevant in today's age. Some of you might be surprised to hear this, but I actually don't really like to get super political, at least on this channel, you know, 
because like I said, this channel doesn't exist to be political. I feel like airing out your political opinions or whatever bullshit, that's like best <laughs> done on places like Twitter, which is why I do that. But you know, the purpose of having a philosophy channel, I think, is to focus on the fundamentals, the framework of all our arguments, because... I'm not sure if you will all agree with me, but I feel very much that all of our opinions about politics, about morality, about ethics, they're all built on these platforms that we already have, these existing platforms that are essentially almost the framework, the code that enables us to build such, such opinions on top of them, you know? All that comes to us by way of philosophical knowledge, I feel, only serves to strengthen the opinions that we build with them. You know, they're sort of the skill set, the toolbox. Hello, Gain Island. The toolbox that we use to build opinions. And so I wanted to talk about this thing that I feel like is becoming more and more of an issue, at least <laughs> in what I observe on Twitter, which is this debate that's always, we're always embroiled in. But a thing that I feel is rising more and more to the surface, this idea about whether or not we exist in a cancel culture of sorts and also just this general atmosphere that we see in our political landscape and our social landscape where I feel more and more and I don't know if you guys agree with this maybe sound off if you do because I'm curious to know like is this me latching onto something but I feel more and more people on the left especially and this is a this is definitely where I align myself as being more on the left. Um, I feel like people are generally just expressing more and more discomfort at what they perceive to be limitations put on what they're allowed to say. Do people feel as if this is real? Because I do. And I feel like that's part of why this is becoming a thing, you know. Dave Chappelle's special came out not long ago sticks and stones or whatever and personally i definitely see why people were upset i don't agree with all of why they were upset but i have to say i think dave chappelle is such a talented comedian i grew up watching Chappelle's show and he's fucking hilarious obviously and such a talented comedian so i kind of felt like just even the title, Sticks and Stones, it just feels like low-hanging fruit. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, I'm here to piss everybody off, you know? I, I felt like that was just a little too juvenile for David. I'm going to turn this volume down a little bit. I'm, I'm starting to get excited. Because, you know, David David is a very <laughs> talented artiste. I just felt it was it was too simple and just like, you know jokes about gay people jokes about whatever i don't think that there's anything implicitly wrong with doing any of these things you know i think that in the realm of comedy and in the realm of discourse everything should be open for debate and that's part of why i feel like this thing is worth being discussed and so in some level i do appreciate dave's 
sentiment, which seems to be that he feels as if he can't really be free to say whatever the fuck he wants. And well, I definitely think it's true that this attitude that everyone should be able to say whatever the fuck they want just <laughs> does sort of seem to come from a culture maybe of entitlement. At least in some ways, I feel like there are definitely certain people that seem to put this idea, their belief that they should be allowed to say whatever the fuck they want, whenever the fuck they want, <laughs> no fucking questions asked. I definitely think that, you know, that is a thing that can become ugly in its many incarnations from different people. But at the same time, I do think that that's a thing we generally all desire to be able to say whatever the fuck fuck we want um and you know that's part of why our fucking four daddies thomas jeffer bro and all his bros wrote that shit into the constitution because they were like guys i want to say whatever the fuck i want and i think that part of why you know other people feel like this idea comes from a culture of entitlement is also because People who feel like they can't say whatever the fuck they want historically and people from marginalized communities and such, they want to be able to say whatever the fuck they want too, you know? So I do think that it is a thing that we all desire. And in that sense, if we all desire it, should maybe try to find ways in which we can do this. And I don't want to sound like an alarmist or anything. Like, I'm definitely a person that's incredibly skeptical of people getting all alarmist and uh, reactionary themselves acting like what i can't say this anymore i can't say that anymore blah, blah, blah. like a lot of these people absolutely sound like fucking idiots like i'm sorry that you can't like you know make make beating your wife jokes anymore whatever the fuck you want to do but um you know i do think that there's definitely truth to this accusation and what I perceive to be a growing sense of discontentment among people like myself on the left who just feel more and more like this shit is ugly you know like I, I oh, especially since this culture seems to come out of another culture that precedes it which is that we're actually beginning to have discourse, you know? Like, how did all of this stuff start? This stuff seemed to start when people began engaging with each other on these social media platforms especially and talking about things that historically weren't, didn't really have a lot of conversation surrounding them, you know? It seems to be much about bringing a, a less popular historic historical narratives to light and extrapolating on them and yada fucking yada you know <laughs> it is my constitutional right to hang out with my homies says marco that's fucking right that is right it is our constitutional right to hang out with our homies and say whatever the fuck we want and crack a cold one open with the boys who have just come back in town John Corbin says the left has a problem with incrementalism, I think. I'm interested in what that means. I would like, I think I have an idea about what you mean, but if you would like to tell me what you mean by that, I would like to hear and respond to that. But I definitely think 
like a lot of other people seem to think that this is becoming a problem and it's becoming a problem that uh, is increasingly being talked about because people just can't fucking take it anymore. You know, like it's just like ridiculous and you want to say something, but then you're like, oh, well, then everyone's going to fucking hate me or whatever. But at the same time, I do feel like this culture is already like I feel like it's peaked and it's crashing. And it's sort of unfortunate to me in many ways because I feel like at baseline, the goals of a lot of what motivates this culture is actually pretty noble. Like I said, I feel like a lot of these narratives that have that are coming to the to the top and being discussed are narratives that historically, you know, we haven't really gotten to talk about in any great detail. So it's nice in a lot of ways to see people want to do this. But I think that at some point, and maybe this is what the user meant when they just said incrementalism, I think at some point this format kind of became... I guess integrated into people into the public psyche as like this is the norm where instead of raising ideas for discussion and encouraging discourse I think it became more of this format where we simply become more passive observers and see okay the public seems to say this is the thing to do and the public just like it's like this like unapologetic I don't give a fuck like we're saying it we're gonna fucking say it and we're all gonna fucking do it and if you don't agree fuck you you piece of shit that like became the fucking format for all of this discourse and now it's like you're just waiting for the opportunity for the discourse to become something that you can like have some sort of movement within and maybe that's your chance to like jump up and say the thing you've been wanting to say for the past five fucking iterations of whatever the most popular opinion was at the time we're all just waiting for our window of opportunity for when I can finally have a little bit of movement again and maybe I can say the thing I wanted to say you know it's definitely definitely very limiting and very claustrophobic in my opinion but something I was talking about last night and I guess part of what inspired me to talk right now on this live stream was how Something that bothers me in particular is this, it's kind of like what I was just describing. These, there's this attitude right now where people want nothing to be up for debate. And I think that, just as I was kind of saying with all of this stuff, I do think that at baseline, this is motivated by a noble sort of idea. You know, this idea that, like, certain things are not up for debate. My personhood is not up for debate. Like, and I think that, you know, there's definitely a history that informs why people want to say this thing is not up for debate. I can't speak for other demographics, but I am a woman. And as a woman, I know that historically there's, you know, so much, like, science, like... <laughs> like neuro neurological proof that I'm a fucking idiot and actually I want to be raped and I belong in the kitchen and I want to breastfeed my babies or whatever the fuck and I'm neurologically hardwired to fulfill these purposes because I am a woman and because I am a woman which is a biological reality for myself naturally I align with these purposes of womanhood which coincidentally <laughs> 
speak to my fucking idiocy and my inability to comprehend complex concepts and yada fucking yada so i understand why people are like dude i'm not debating this shit anymore it does become exhausting and i know that this is very real and you know when it comes to like race theory and shit too especially in recent years there's all this fucking race realist dude bros coming out the fucking woodworks they want to talk about the bell curve again they want to talk about like people's fucking skull sizes like give me a fucking break people don't want to debate this shit anymore so i think that's part of why now people have just sort of adopted this popular mantra of no debate this is not up for debate but i think that because this has become sort of the set in stone way of approaching a lot of these arguments People are sort of forgetting why they decided to take on this sort of no debate approach and have sort of almost internalized it as meaning like these things can't be debated, you know, which I think is incredibly untrue and actually a really terrible idea. Like I said, I can't speak for anybody else, but I would never say to somebody that my you know, my, uh, my belief that as a woman, I am not a fucking idiot that has some, like, sort of subliminal rape fetish and wants to breastfeed babies the rest of my life, I would say that that idea is absolutely up for debate, and if people want to debate it, which they totally do, like, then we should. I can't get people to move away from this idea unless I actually show them why I believe they're wrong, you know? I can't expect other people are going to just accept this because I have some idea that their ideas totally negate my personhood, you know? Of course, I don't... <laughs> I mean... It's not like fun necessarily to talk to these people, but it's not incredibly distressing for myself either. Maybe if you personally don't feel up to engaging in these debates, fucking don't. But when you tell people that a thing like sexism is not up for debate, then what you are really saying to them, I think, is that these things are not rational. And so they're not worthy of a debate. But I think they are worthy of a debate because that's the only way we're going to be able to fucking advance beyond them, right? <laughs> I personally am not a woman. Shit. What happened to whose Twitter? Not mine. My Twitter's there, right? Shit. Am I high? No, I'm like never high. Ugh. Why did I look at the chat? I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, yeah. Well, the reason I brought up David Hume earlier... Um, is because we're reading him in our book club. Well, we just read him in our book club. And he made this really interesting argument. And I'm actually going to be uploading that discussion later today if any of you want to check it out. And also if any of you want to join our book club because it's not really a book club. Every week we read a different text by a different philosopher. Almost like an article, you know. Every other week, actually. It's only 25 pages. So a little shameless self-promo there. But... David Hume makes this argument that I find to be really wonderful, David, all the way back from 1748, where he says that literally every idea we have, every opinion we have, is built on precedent information. And David Hume separates all uh, perceptions into two categories. The first being thoughts or ideas, which are things that we formulate. 
And the second being sensation, uh, the second being, yes, yeah, sensations and experience, things that we learn by way of experience. And this is the foundation for all empiricism. And empiricism, as you know, is the, the method of science. Empiricism is the idea that all knowledge comes to us by way of what is observable, what we observe in our external reality and what we internalize about what we observe to formulate opinions. And this is a conscious process. Our rational processes aren't some intrinsic magical, magical thing that the DMT elves and Terrence McKenna fucking put up my butt and now I'm smart and shit. No, these are all things that are pretty easily observed and described how we come to our rational conclusions. And in that sense, it's pretty easy to track the trajectory of any argument and to see where we deviate and where we disagree. And this is why I believe very much that we should debate everything, literally everything. Not that we're all necessarily personally complicit in debating these things, but it's really not very hard at all. Of course, it's hard to convince some fucking Nazi or a fucking guy that, like, I don't know, thinks all women should be stripped of the right to vote and whatever the fuck. Of course, it's hard to convince them, and I don't know how worthwhile it would be to, like, get into some long-winded debate with these assholes, but I do think that even with them, if you feel up to the challenge, which I personally do because I love a challenge it definitely is worth trying to engage with them and asking them you know like what follows from what premise and how did you get here I want to know what is our shared platform because there is some sort of shared platform obviously there is some mutual understanding between yourself and the person that holds the most opposite opinions of you ever because otherwise there would not even be a basis for understanding you would not even be able to comprehend each other okay Obviously, we have some sort of mutual platform. We're engaged in this process of rationalizing what we observe about our external reality. And we have simply come to separate conclusions. But if we wanted to, which I think we should all want to, maybe not necessarily with the Nazi, but at least in areas of relatively minor disagreement, we could easily track out where we deviate. And so... Shit, I was going to say something. I had it. It was about David. David, come back to me. David, if you're here. David, if you're here, give me a sign. I had something about David. David, David. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This problem all speaks to a larger problem. A problem that David was very concerned with as well. And a problem that I have also thought a lot about. If you've seen my Against Spirituality video on this channel which you should, if you haven't, you could watch after this. I talk about the same exact thing, that there's this popular idea that has persisted for centuries that there are matters of human affectation, the feelings, ideas about spirituality, religion, blah, 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 your personal feelings and experience. Those are one set of knowledge, if you will. And then... This other set of knowledge that exists in opposition to that one is matters of logic. 
And there's this popular idea that has persisted from David's time and earlier until now. It is definitely as strong as ever that matters of science and matters of logic cannot speak to these other matters of personal experience and of feelings. And that's why we see, you know, assholes like fucking Ben Shapiro be like, thanks, don't care about your feelings, bro. And it's like, I don't even make the distinction. (laughs) My facts and my feelings are generally like in agreement with each other i don't typically feel as if what i feel about the world is in stark contradiction to what i think i know is accurate about the world i mean do you i think that clearly what we come to internalize as fact is informed by our feelings if you walk up to me and punch me in the face i am going to feel angry at you Because I observed you punching me in the face. That is why I've chosen to make you the object of my anger. I feel angry at you. Why the fuck would you punch me in the face, you fucking dick? You understand me? So this idea that facts and feelings are even opposed to each other on some fundamental, almost metaphysical level is just completely absurd. And we need to let it go. And anyway, David speaks about this a bit in his text in his first chapter when he's first section of what we read when he's talking about these two different schools of philosophy or at least the way that these two different modes of philosophy have come to be described in his era. And he's talking about um, how he feels as if there is a sharp distinction that the general public typically makes between these philosophers that he calls the easy philosophers. And he uses very colorful language to describe them. In some places he calls them the happy philosophers and the fucking emo philosophers. No, he didn't say that. But, you know, the philosophers concerned with feeling and human nature and affectation. And then he contrasts them with this other school of philosophers who tend to be, um, he believes, considered with more reverence. And they're generally considered to be more profound and more analytical. And he calls them the abstruse philosophers, which is a word I was not familiar with. It means difficult. And speaking of words I was not familiar with, and David Hume, I put this on Twitter too, but (laughs) he said the word landscape, which I just think is the cutest little word. It means landscape. And it sounds like a Pokemon, doesn't it? Landscape. Landscape, I choose you. Anyway, but David makes, David talks about this distinction to basically said what I just said, which is that This idea that these schools of philosophy or schools of knowledge at all could be fundamentally opposed to each other is absolutely absurd. And in this way, basically, to give a to give an example, people who believe I'm an atheist, okay? I believe there is no God. I'm not agnostic. I believe very much that there is no God, at least in the common popular use of the word god i don't believe that there is a sentient being that designed me and put me here whatever the fuck i'm an atheist other people believe that there is a god basically the process that led me to this conclusion where i can say definitively i believe very much there is no god is the same exact process that brings somebody else to ultimately conclude there is a god And if we were to sit together and map out the trajectories of our thinking, we could easily find where we deviate. We're not working within some like (laughs) different, different schools of knowledge. And there's just like, it's, it's like two, we can never find the root of our disagreement. You just believe what you believe. And I just believe what I believe. 
that's not true at all. We could easily go together and map out what it is that separates us and where, literally where, one of us took a fucking veer off into wherever the fuck we went. And I think that if we all embraced this idea and venerated it more and, you know, agreed together on the criteria for what lets us navigate this process and comes to conclusions, which is essentially what philosophy is, then we'd all be so much better served, you know, because it would be so much easier to agree on, first of all, how we're coming to conclusions and agree that we can find the difference in our various arguments. It's not hard. Hume is a baller on religion, to be honest. Yeah, I'm really curious. Now, this was the first time I read Hume. I just aired myself out. I don't give a fuck. I'm not a philosophy scholar. I'm just a philosopher. Philosophy hobbyist. And part of why I made phenomenology clothes is because I feel like as soon as I was introduced in philosophy to philosophy and just some fucking random ass college courses, I felt almost angry because I'm like, where the fuck was this my whole life? Why did I have to read fucking Ivanhoe <laughs> in like first grade? Why didn't they give me some fucking Socrates or something? Why do we read so much fiction in school and I didn't get any philosophy? I mean, I know some other people got some philosophy, but... From what I understand, most people who had any sort of exposure to philosophy in, like, their public schooling or, like, you know, K through 12 or whatever, a lot of that, I think, was, uh, happened by way of taking electives. I didn't even have an option to take any sort of philosophy class in my life, and when I finally got to take some philosophy classes, I couldn't get enough, because I was like, what the fuck, dude? This shit rules. Thinking about thinking? That's my shit. I love thinking about thinking. But anyway, from what I understand and why I think Hume is relevant to this entire argument, I mean, for reasons I've already described, but also from what I understand, maybe Adam in the chat, maybe you know, because I have not read Hume a lot, but I would like to read more now that I've read some. Um, I believe that he's one of the first philosophers to make a sort of naturalistic argument for morality which I find personally very affirming because, just to plug myself again, I have a video on this channel called uh, Moral Relativism and its application to the arts. And without any prior exposure to Hume, I make an argument that I believe is similar to his overall argument, which is that morality as a word, as a concept, is a human construct in many ways. And in that way, it is relative and transmutable. The ideas that underlie the reasons that we decided to come up with a word for morality and come up with a system of ethics are actually quite natural, you know, which I think is an idea that's pretty easily supported by things like evolutionary biology, you know, a thing like empathy. That isn't something we made up and just decided to <laughs> do. You can't teach empathy. Empathy is a natural phenomena. I mean, we see it, we observe it in other species easily. I make the argument in that video that why is it so uncommon to see animal species kill within their own species? I mean, we do see it. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it, it will usually be for some sort of reason, right? You know, 
I think I've heard that like lion prides go in and like kill <laughs> kill their fucking the other lion because they want to spread their lion seed with their big lion balls or whatever. And that, you know, that seems that that has a reason, you know, but generally speaking, I don't think species just like spontaneously like kill their own kind, at least not in large numbers. I think it's probably pretty safe to say that intraspecies murder is relatively rare. And when it does exist, it exists to serve some sort of function, you know. Like in our society, I mean, we, we execute people that we find to be violent criminals. And I believe that this is a thing that also exists in some other species. You know, you betray the fucking tribe. We chop your fucking head off. Fuck you. What the fuck? It's not personal, but like, I can't, you're now a liability guy. Why would you do that? So I think that this argument can definitely made that, you know, that phenomena like empathy are biological phenomena in many ways, you know. And so in that sense, morality is constructed, but it's constructed to describe and unite these sort of disparate ideas, things like the existence of empathy and of general human pursuit of pleasure, because I would argue that our ethical systems also totally support or not support, but align with this goal of humans wanting to feel good, you know, because we can make the argument that morality uh, promotes human survival. But beyond survival, I would say, too, that our ethical systems and our more moral systems also support um, just this idea that humans deserve not deserve, but we want to feel good, and I want to feel good, and I know you want to feel good, so I'm going to abstain from making you feel bad to the best of my abilities with the hopes that you will do the same for me, and that we can live alongside each other without making either of the other one feel bad, and we can both live next to each other and feel good. Maybe we could suck each other's dicks or something, you know? So, I don't know where I'm going with this, but basically, I'll probably wrap it up soon. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take some comments from the chat if anyone wants to speak. I didn't want to take too long on this. I'm trying to keep things shorter because I can go on forever. But I just wanted to share these ideas with you, I guess, because I feel like if I could make any contribution to what the discourse is now, it would essentially be everything that I just said which is that I understand and I sympathize with the underlying goals that have motivated this general atmosphere of sort of no debate. We're going to fucking, you know, give credence to the feelings of people whose feelings historically have been denied them. I totally align with that goal. I think it is time to let people who have not spoken speak, you know. But I think that there is no sense in trying to achieve this thing that we're now going to adopt this new format that is just sort of authoritarian. And what makes it scary is that there's no leadership. That's what's weird about the left in general, you know, and a thing that I think a lot of people criticize. I'm saying the left loosely, by the way. What I mean is in America, 
I guess, left of what you'd say the right is. I think most things in America are on the right. There really isn't true leftism in America. It's just like, how far to the left on the right are you, really? But in general, you know what I'm saying. Among people who consider themselves more progressive, I feel like the more you go that way, the more you find a lack of leadership, which... Maybe it could be a good thing in certain ways because it's sort of democratic. And I think that democratic ideas are good as far as in the realm of discourse. I don't know if democracy works well as a governmental structure. But I think that having more democratic modes of discourse is a good thing. But I think what's weird about it is since there is no sort of like leadership or definitive authority on like, okay, this is what we're going to do now. This is what we're going to do now. It becomes almost like mob rule, which becomes kind of scary, you know? I mean, I'm not personally scared. I don't give a fuck. I will get up there and show them my balls, you know? I don't feel like personally incredibly inhibited by this culture. I really don't. I mean, I feel like sad and I feel like it's claustrophobic, but I don't feel like I'm out here like, I just want to say it. (laughs) I can't say it. Maybe a little bit sometimes, but for the most part, you know, I'm fine. I feel like the people who suffer most from this culture are really the people who participate in it the most. I mean, don't you think that's true? I feel like the people that you see fall the hardest (laughs) within this, like, environment of cancel culture or whatever are also the people that, like, work the hardest to help build it, you know? I think when you sort of signal to everybody else that, like, you are complicit in this structure and this is the format you want to go with, I think that you're held to a certain standard. You're signaling to everybody you want to be held to that standard. And so when you betray the standard, then you get chopped down. You get fucking taken out at the feet. So, you know, I don't think this is like a crisis or the end of Western culture or whatever. It's just a frustration. And I think already, like I said before, it is starting to crumble. But I guess if I could, I guess I w- what I would hope is that people don't forget what is good about what has happened and necessarily just abandon the whole fucking thing, which I think is definitely a likely possibility because, like I said, people don't ever want to fucking talk about how we come to our various conclusions and how we've gotten here and why you believe that and why I believe this, which I think is one of the most important parts of discourse, which is why I have such a fucking massive raging boner for philosophy because that's exactly what philosophy is. Essentially mapping out why, how we argue, how we think, what is thinking, what is fucking anything, is the apple red, is the apple green, I don't fucking know. So I encourage anybody listening to this, if you care, to get into that shit cause it's fun as fuck. Shit. It's just trippy. What could be more fun than thinking except thinking about thinking you know what i'm saying bro all right i'm about to get off of here but uh does anybody have any any comments in the chat i'll respond to say something gay say something gay and i'll fucking i'll fucking i'll fucking respond
I got into philosophy by some article about Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell is someone we'll be reading in book club. Just saying. That's cool. Bertrand Russell is cool. Gay. Gay. Everyone's gay. I'm rad. Thank you. Candy Island question. Yeah. Philosophy would be dope if it all rhymed. I'm scrolling. Hey, watch. You're vulgar. Thoughts on Alex Jones? <laughs> Alex Jones is a great speaker. I've realized this recently because when the Jeffrey Epstein thing happened, I was like uh, hearing about all these right-wing conspiracies and I'm like, dude, I got to get in on this. So I'm like, where do I go to hear about all the right-wing conspiracy shit if I just want to listen? I don't have... I didn't have the patience to like go through 4chan at the moment, so I put on InfoWars, and I, I really had no idea Alex Jones was such a great speaker. I mean, I'd heard him before a little bit, but I'd never really sat and listened to him, and he's kind of fucking hilarious. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily intentional. I think the guy's fucking bad shit, but um, I definitely appreciated that. And um not just about him, but in general, I don't know exactly how I feel. My ideas about censorship and such have definitely changed. I mean, for one, I'm just critical of this environment we exist in where we let fucking companies like Twitter and all these other private organizations police our speech for us, you know. I understand they're private entities, and as such, they have the right to do whatever the fuck they want. Great for them. But I just don't really agree with it i guess think about it if if it's a club if twitter was a club and fucking jack is the leader or whatever i think jack's a stupid fucking leader and fuck him but as far as alex jones being kicked off like platforms and stuff too i don't i don't really i don't i don't like that i don't think i don't really care i don't mourn his loss or i didn't at the time and i still don't mourn his loss i think he is in some senses a dangerous individual only in that there's crazy people that like listen to him and i imagine some of them have guns and like will go shoot somebody because like they think an alien put like fucking terrence mckenna juice in their butt whatever the fuck they're talking about over there but um I just, if I ran a club, which I do run a club, actually, and I've had some moments where I sort of had to, like, think about these things, like, if someone's being difficult, if there's a disagreement, like, do I just kick them out? I don't feel right doing that. That feels tyrannical. Like, yes, we have rules, and rules will be broken, but, like, what happens when they are? Do I just fucking totally dismiss them from our platform? Like, no. If I just send them into the wild? No. Maybe if they just keep offending, and this is their fucking MO, obviously, to sow discord among my discord, <laughs> then yes, maybe I must kick them out. But I don't, I don't, I don't like this whole no platforming shit. And speaking of no platforming, let me just say, okay, this is something that has come to really bother me the more I think about it. You see, like, Mayo, my, Mayo, Milo Yiannopoulos, whatever the fuck, Yiannopoulos, Greek bullshit, whatever the fuck. Is he Greek? I don't know. I thought he was Jewish. This motherfucker, like, yes, he sucked. But it bothers me how much I see people being like, look, we kicked him off. Deplatforming works. It's like, yes, you know why deplatforming works? Because you are the fucking platform. 
Look at Richard Spencer, who I think is someone that whose career runs really parallel to Milo. Like he was totally just as popular, not just as popular, but he was very popular. Richard Spencer was on like fucking every news station. I feel like for a long time, he was getting all these write ups, all this bullshit. Everyone's talking about Richard Spencer. People were looking at his Twitter. And now no one talks about the guy. He's still on Twitter. He didn't get deplatformed. The reason that he's become an insignificant figure in this realm of political discourse is simply because people have stopped talking about him. He's no longer trending. He's no more. He's no longer viral. You know, it's really ugly to me when people essentially beg these huge corporations like Twitter and Facebook, like, oh, kick them off, kick them off. It's like they wouldn't even need to be kicked off if you would just shut the fuck up about them. And that's why it becomes so critical of, like, these big, like, fucking leftist YouTube channels and, like, Sam Cedar or whatever the fuck and David Pakman and all these assholes. They're making money off of <laughs> basically keeping these people on the right famous and then complaining about it and then saying we need to deplatform them. It's like you don't really want that. You want them to stay up forever because they're your fucking topics. They're what keep you relevant. And it's so obvious that the people that are most popular on the right are the people that the left talks about the most. I mean, like Jordan Peterson is another perfect example. He's so popular or was so popular. I feel like his popularity has definitely fallen a lot, too, because he's no longer as trending on the left. I'm sure he still does great numbers on YouTube and shit, but I never see his name anymore. He doesn't seem to be some incredible threat. I don't think he ever necessarily really was. But he only ever became somewhat of a threat because people on the left were making him one, you know? Ignore these fucking assholes. And I'm sick of when people say shit like that. You're met with, like, accusations like, how can we ignore it? How can we ignore it when these Nazis are out here? Like, we literally, <laughs> we literally ignored fucking Richard Spencer, the most literal Nazi out of all of them. And look what happened to him. He's washed up. Nobody even watches his YouTube videos. I bet he's in here right now crying and masturbating. Richard! Richard, be ashamed of yourself. Stop it, Richard. No one likes you. Anyway, let me stop on that rant. But that's how I feel. That's how I fucking feel. People who are upset with what people say... Wait, what... This is a comment. People who are upset with what people say are people who are not engaged in their life's work. They probably have a shitty job, are bored, and feel resentful towards society. Um, I have to say I do not agree with that necessarily because I would make the argument that literally everybody, including people who are engaged in their life's work are engaged in their life's work because they think that their work somehow is beneficial to humanity, you know? Like, I don't care what other people say. I know it's a popular thing for other artists to say. I'm an artist. People say, I make art for myself. Like, bitch, speak for yourself because that's not true for me. I don't make art for myself. I make art for other people. Like, I like art and what it does by way of raising you know, but I like how it's a thing that we can all look at together and talk about together. I like being here with other people and talking about ideas with other people. What about philosophers? Their life's work is literally 
conversational in many ways. Philosophers don't write just so they can fucking talk to themselves in their head and fucking jack off about it. Philosophers are engaged in their life's work to make some sort of contribution to society. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be a moral thing, you know. Maybe they just want to trip people out, bro. I just want people to get trippy with me. I want to come up with this cool thing and I want to share it. You know, Einstein, his life's work, greatly beneficial to humanity. I think no matter what we're doing, whatever our life's work is, it's you can never really divorce yourself from society and from other people. And why would you want to? You know, like, I think I want to be a part of society. I think that it's definitely true that we use other people as a distraction. I'm definitely guilty of this. You know, I love (laughs) commercing, is that a word? Communing with other people so much that I definitely use it, I think, sometimes to procrastinate from what I should be doing. But I would say that even the things that I think I should be doing still are things that I do with the purpose of hopefully sharing with others that I hope have some sort of an impact on others. And it doesn't need to be some positive change, pay it forward bullshit either, you know. Just something that I hope people appreciate with me. Because that's why I'm making it. Because I think it's worthy of being appreciated. And, you know, the point of making things is to externalize them and share them. So, gotta say, disagree with you. But I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah, that guy is an asshole. Someone just said Molyneux is a real fucker. He's so dumb it's funny though he's a good example too look this is someone i feel like he hasn't been as ignored in other demographics i think he like caused a big uproar in new zealand or something but look at how little this guy is discussed on twitter you know even people who like or just on social media in america it's definitely true he has a big following a lot of people know who he is but i would say for the most part like he's generally kind of ignored and for that reason remains like not incredibly influential you know he's almost just like a meme i think he's kind of crazy and i feel like he's the kind of guy that's gonna like go shoot up a building one day hope i'm not in it but knowing him he'd probably like shoot up his whole fucking He'd shoot up his own audience or something, you know. All right, it's been 48 minutes. I think that's a good place to uh, wrap it up. Thank you for listening to me. I hope this was a fun discussion. And I hope that you all join Phenomenology Club because I have a Discord server. And we're always in the Discord server. And... We meet up relatively often and more so in the future. But, uh, yeah, uh, this was fun. This was fun. I'll listen to it and then I'll critique myself and I'll see if it's worth doing again. So, thanks for joining me, suckers. Love you. Brr.